Hello and welcome to Hummingbird, a weekly podcast with April Lee Janes and Jessica Outram. How can we use story and story structure in our arts? Today's episode is about what we can learn from Pixar about story and how do their rules of great storytelling relate to our work. Those of you who've been listening for a few episodes know that uh, April and I are big fans of Pixar. We've been uh, watching their movies, watching the series that they have about the behind the scenes. So we thought that going to their rules and their big ideas that they apply might be a good place for us to, to start uh, because they're a world leader in storytelling. So there are six big ideas from Pixar. Great stories are universal. They have a clear structure and purpose. They have a character to root for, an underdog. They appeal to our deepest emotions and uh, they are surprising and unexpected and simple and focused. So we hope today to talk through these big ideas, thinking about how they weave through different forms of creativity. So April, do any of these big ideas stand out for you? And, or do you see how they might connect to the work that you do or the work that you've seen others do? Here's lots of questions to answer all at once. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Just drop that right on me, Jessica. <laughs> I, I see some of the best art often makes us ask a question about what happened next or why are those people there or what meaning does this have for me? It, it, it causes us to ask a question. I actually see stories in two ways as it relates to our creativity, art that we are creating. But on the business side, there's the marketing of that art. If we want to share it with the public, we need to share the story of why we made that particular piece of art, why we wrote that piece of music, why we chose that topic for our poem because people want to see deeper into what it is that we're doing. People are fascinated by what makes us as artists tick. I mean, they, they kind of think we're this, I don't know, but I often joke that when we're working outside painting, it's like people like to see the artist in, in their real environment, you know, because they want to know what makes us tick. And the story is part of that. And so if we're telling a story about ourselves and letting our art tell a story, we are really connecting in a way that's deeper than just painting daisies on an old barn board or something. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but why would you do that? What, what is the story behind that? And that's what people want to know about us. Hmm. So I kind of come back to that today. Let's just talk about the art itself. And then when we do our business episode this month, I think we should come back to story and talk about how we create awareness of our own creative output, how we connect to people through what our story is. And I'm kind of laughing at Jessica. She's got a little bit of a story going on today that our audience isn't aware of. We almost didn't record this episode because she's just got this, she's got wildlife in her office today. <laughs> I do. A couple of days ago, I was sitting in here early in the morning having a coffee. And I think this is where story becomes universal because, uh, you know, I'm sure other people can relate to these types of moments. And I thought I saw something out of the corner of my eye and it was early, like it was 5am. And then I look up again and there was this little baby mousy running across the room. So I of course screamed, grabbed my laptop and my phone and my coffee and ran out of the room and I you know, closed up the room and put a towel across the floor because that will work so it doesn't get out and then and just completely panicked. And so now it's a few days later, I've just opened up the room, the mouse has not been caught. And I keep thinking I hear things and see things out of the corner of my eye and I'm trying very hard to be brave. But it has made me think about 
all the mouse stories that are out there. For example, it reminded me of a book I loved when I was a kid by Beverly Cleary called, I think the motorcycle mouse about Ralph. Yeah, and yeah. I loved that book as a kid thinking about this little mouse on his motorcycle going everywhere. Then there's that other classic children's book, give a mouse a cookie. So I, I can see where those ideas come from because I'm sitting here wondering, well, what is that mouse up to? What is it doing in my office where my paints are? This is like my creativity studio slash home office slash meditation space and I, I've been wondering okay what what is it up to and I'm not coping well with this April it's it's been very challenging and I, it, I'm sure if, if, if those of you who are listening if you want to share some of your stories right now I, I've seen more than ever on social media my friends are learning how to live peacefully with wildlife there's there's a lot going on Anyways, I'm a little off track because I'm distracted by the possibility that a mouse may run over my toes or not at any moment during this recording. <laughs> so well, there we've then, got some tension. <laughs> <laughs> and as you're telling that, I'm thinking this covers all the big ideas. This is a universal story. It has a clear structure and purpose. We are the character we're rooting for, that underdog. Or maybe some of us are rooting for the mouse. Who knows? Um, no, no, please root for me. <laughs> It appeals to that deep emotion we have of the, of, you know, the, oh. and it, the surprise and the other, and it's simple and focused. I mean, it has all the makings of a story and you could easily expand that to be, I mean, when we watched uh, the Pixar thing, they talked about how they could take something simple and it became a universal story. We, I watched Coco a couple of weeks ago and that whole idea of the, the day of the dead. And, and I had no idea what the meaning was behind that until I watched this movie. It gave me a real appreciation for that culture and the power of that uh, honoring of your ancestors. Who knows? Maybe the story of Ralph the mouse started because a mouse ran through Beverly Cleary's office. And it's a book, a classic that we love today. I had a friend who was a writer, you know her too, Jessica, Dorothea. And mm. she always said, the best stories are based on things in our lives. Don't ever give her a writer a reason to write about you because you'll show up <laughs> in one of their books, right? You know? <laughs> Absolutely. I am watching, I am listening. <laughs> you will show up. But, but story uh, can show up in other, like visual art. Like I put out a painting this week. I do rock paintings, rocks on the beach. I live on a cobbled beach. And there's the rocks themselves are just gorgeous, all the different colors and shapes and patterns. And but this week, after reading the story of um, the Gates's marriage breakdown, I tucked a little wedding band just into the corner underneath one of the rocks because mm. that story impacted me. I, I feel sorrow for them that their marriage is breaking up. So the idea of that this ring, you can't even tell it, it could be a it could be any kind of ring, but the idea was to introduce a mystery, a question into the painting. What is this? Who did it come from? Was it thrown away? Was it dropped? Is someone looking for it? So visual arts can have that mystery and that storytelling invo involved in it. And I certainly know music and dance can as well. The idea of story isn't just for writers. It's for anybody who wants to create something. A story is about the emotion, I think, that we want to bring out in the piece. And it could be happy emotion. It could be sad emotion. It could be fear. It could be anything but it starts there. No, I agree. And it starts with us and the way that we see the story. I believe we are all story. And it's something that is 
is natural to being human. And one of my favorite writers is Richard Wagamese. This is, I want to share with you a quote of his. It's a little bit long, but I feel like it's worth it. And this is one that I, I share with my staff all the time that I read to myself on a regular basis, because I feel that it's just got all the things that are important to me about why, why we create, why we write and how that fits into the experience of being human. So Richard Wagami says, all that we are is story. From the moment we are born to the time we continue on our spirit journey, we are involved in the creation of the story of our time here. It is what we arrive with. It is all we leave behind. We are not the things we accumulate. We are not the things we deem important. We are story, all of us. What comes to matter then is the creation of the best possible story we can while we're here. You, me, us together. When we can do that and we take the time to share those stories with each other, we get bigger inside, we see each other, we recognize our kinship, we change the world one story at a time. And I find I just get goosebumps every time I uh, move through that quotation. I used to teach story as a, a webinar for marketing. And we'll put the link to it here. We'll also talk about this much more in the the business side of it. But there was scientific studies done um, in, a, in some universities, and I don't have the quotes for them here, but they talked about how story does exactly what you're talking here. We recognize kinship, it connects us, because when we tell each other stories, we create oxytocin in our own brain and in the person who we're talking to. And that is the hormone of love. That's the one that makes us feel connected to each other. And they can measure that story actually activates the oxytocin. So story is more than just what we're hearing. There is a physical response to it. And I think that's one reason why it's so important to us as creatives to use the, that power to have people connect to our, it's what we want, right? It's why we create our art, whether it's a poem or a dance or a song or a painting, we want people to see it and see us and feel that connection. And story mm -hmm. is how you do that because it cre it activates the connection hormone. So we're getting very scientific here, but there is a real physical response to it. Yeah, no, I agree completely that that story is central to that feeling of connection and that need to engage with each other, to the work, to the art, to ourselves. And that's when we we grow attachments to things like different artists or musicians or movies that we want to watch again and again because it connects somehow to our own stories. And I think that's why we create too, because you see the impact that that has on us when I, uh, when I listened to um, say, like, I think Barbara Streisand is an incredible singer. And when I listen to her sing, I know she's not to everybody's taste, but her singing is so incredible. She'll, she can transport you to another place through song. So then, you know, I start asking a question as, as a singer myself, well, how does she do that? What is it that she's doing? Because she's not just singing the notes. She's bringing something mm -hmm. else into that song from herself that's transporting me right now. Or when I look at, uh, you know, photography, sometimes there's a, phot a photographer that I love named John Davidson. You know, I'll look at some of his photographs and I'll wonder how... How is it that he's pulled me in like this? I, I've seen so many, say, you know, pictures of mountains, for example. What is it about this photo that has me pulled in? And, and yes, it could be the composition and the lighting because all of those things tell a story too. But there's something through his eyes that's being transmitted through the camera that I'm getting to see through his eyes. And it's very powerful, very powerful. 
I feel the same thing about Yo-Yo Ma, the cellist. I, mm. I often wonder, what is it so that he does so different that draws us in and just puts us in awe of who he is and his playing? And I love the story recently, again, story, that after he had his COVID vaccination shot, of course, you have to sit and wait 15 minutes, he took his cello in with him and played for the people that were there waiting. Oh my God, I would love to have been in that group to have sat there and listened to him play. I have a musician friend who used to, he played for the Toronto Symphony and he would take people around to different places. And he had the chance to show for Yo-Yo Ma. And I just thought, what an experience that must have been to be able to, to talk to the man and, and as a real person, right? We see them up on stage and think that they're, this is all there is of these people. And yet there's so much story behind who they are personally that I think comes out in their art and it makes us want to know more. And maybe that's the power of it. There's something about story that makes us want to know more. My husband and I watched Nomadland this past week, and that is such a quiet movie. It's like there's not a lot happening. There isn't a car chase plot, you know, heavy mystery or anything like that. We just follow this woman through this experience that she's having. And yet my husband and I spent a long time talking about that movie afterwards. My sister and I, on we have a call every week together. We talked about it. Friends of it, we've been talking about it. And I think it's because the story is so universal and touches us. This idea of loss, searching, finding a new community, finding a new way of being, freedom. I mean, there were so many themes in that movie that were deep universal themes that drew us back. Again, coming back to the Pixar's idea of, of the, you know, the great themes of, of story. Nomadland had it and it certainly deserved to win. I agree completely. And I found that they really did a wonderful job of, of, of getting into the deep feelings. And that's one of the ideas from Pixar too, right? That it appeals to our deepest emotions. So although I haven't, you know, yeah. lived on the road like she did, I could really connect to to some of those deep feelings that she had. And um, it was simple, it was focused, there was a clear structure to it. I really felt that I know a lot, there are a lot of people that didn't enjoy the movie. I, I read on social media. I wonder if they tried to watch it again on a different day, if they would feel the same. I find it's one of those movies, sometimes there's stories that we need to mm -hmm. save for another day. And this is one where yeah. you have to be willing to engage with those emotional pieces of yourself in order to sit with. And I wouldn't be in the mood to do that every day. Um, there's just some days that yeah. that I would want to do that. So I had a friend who described it as a poem, that it was a visual poem. And that kind of set me up for what I was going to see. And I think that did help. Otherwise, I, I suspect I might have gone 10 minutes into it and said, eh, not for me. But I wanted to see what he saw. Mm -hmm. So... Go ahead. You were going to say about another one you saw? Well, I saw last night, I watched the movie Summerland and I've had it on my list to view for quite some time. And I've skipped over it so many times, like so many times. I think I've started watching it and gotten, you know, literally two minutes in, like literally, and then, and abandoned it just so oh, I'm not in the mood for this. And then last night, I don't know what I, I ended up clicking on it and watching it. And Wow, that was a really interesting movie. And it was all of these things. It appealed again to the universal emotions of, um, you know, of, of letting people into our lives and also letting people go from our lives. It had a clear structure and a purpose. There were, um, there was more than one character to root for. It was definitely about the deep emotions. There were lots of moments that were surprising and unexpected, but, but at its core, it was a very simple focused story. Um, so um, if 
if you've got Netflix, that one's on Netflix, but I, I, I was really pulled into that one. So stories can do that, right? They can help open us up to the emotions that we need to access that sometimes we push too deep down and then we watch mm-hmm. something like that. And, and then you're like, okay, there it is. I, I think the stress for me of the last couple of days, I know I'm being a little overdramatic, but of having this mouse was pretty intense. So watching a movie that allowed me to have an emotional release really helped me to release from my body <laughs> some of the stress <laughs> from this mouse. And <laughs> I know that's a lot to to take. There are people right now, especially with the pandemic, dealing with much bigger issues than a little mouse in their house. But, you know, our bodies react the way they react. And uh, but I know watching that last night, which, you know, had nothing to do with with, you know, my life. uh, But watching that really was helpful. I was gonna say, we've been talking a lot about movies and stories and things. But I look at these big ideas and say, okay, but how does this apply to music or, vi- or for me, visual art, because that's what I create. And I thought, well, I create more representational art. So I'm, it's not abstract art, which, but I think this applies to abstract art as well. They tend to be universal. I look for the small things in my life that I love, like the honeybees or the pebbles on the beach or something like that, things that we all see. So they're, it's very clear, they're focused. There's something I've got on there. I think what really switches for me is the character to root for, the character that I'm bringing into these is the viewer. And mm-hmm. it's not me, it's not me or the, whatever it is I happen to be painting for, painting about. To me, the character becomes the viewer, the person who's looking at it. And I want to appeal to their emotions. I want them to be surprised and see something unexpected. And I want them, we know that in a painting, if there's too much detail, it becomes too busy and people have difficulty focusing on the big idea of it. So I can see how these can apply to my visual arts. It'd be interesting if there's a musician listening out there, how do you feel this would apply to your music? We'd love to hear from you because uh, neither, well, Jessica is a musician, she's a singer, but if you're a composer, that type of thing, how would you use this structure, this idea of story? Please, uh, Please let us know. We'd like to know how this, if this applies universally across the creative arts. Well, I can speak to as a singer, one of the songs that I worked quite hard on for over a year was an Ava Cassidy version of Somewhere Over the Rainbow. That was just such a powerful experience for me um, in learning to sing that song. Whenever you're preparing a song and you're doing it well, and you you have to connect to it in some way. You're not just singing the notes, um, like I spoke about with Barbara Streisand. You're finding what is my story here, and how can I how can I connect into this? So part of the work that I I would do with my my singing teacher, who's who's just outstanding. And if you're listening, Marie, I love you and thank you for everything that you've taught me. But you know. I started thinking about this woman who longed to be somewhere else. And that to me is a universal feeling in Over the Rainbow, that I want to be somewhere where I'm not. And then it's this idea of dreaming, picturing it, trying to start to see what's possible. And then, you know, finally getting to that place of understanding what is meant for you and then realizing it's just too far out of reach. And so the dreaming and the longing can continue. And the song really kind of ends not in a hopeful place, but it's it's in a sad place. It builds up to this really hopeful place and then it gets sad again. The other thing that was happening for me when I was learning this song, and so this will always for me be part of the story, 
was my uncle Bob was not well. And then he passed um, cancer. He, he had cancer for some time. And I was very close with my uncle Bob and would go visit him often um, throughout the year. And I would start when I was singing this song, when it would get to the musical interlude before, after the bridge, um, before I would come back in for the next verse, I would start seeing him and I waltzing under the rainbow and then lifting off the ground and moving and up over the rainbow. And so now just, and that just happened organically, almost like after I worked on the story of the song, I fell into this moment of this song now being almost like an offering to him and celebrating that relationship. And it became deeply personal for me, but nobody listening in the audience would be able to, to know that or, or see that. That's just what's happening on the inside. So when you can get intensely personal about something and, and that now forever will be that song that I sing and, and see myself waltzing with my uncle during that part. And then it really helps deliver the, the end of the song because he's there with me. It's just a wonderful way to move through music. And I think um, talking to other friends of mine who are musicians, I think that's part of, of what they do is I think they they find those moments, those entry points that connect to their own personal stories. And then they use that as a way to, to tell the story and actors do the same thing. Um, I was a drama teacher for a number of years and that's one of the, the methods is yeah. taking your experiences and, and transferring them over for sure. So there's a sharing of that human experience that I think we're talking about here that even if you don't know the backstory, as you are singing or, or doing those things, you're sharing a very human experience of who you are. And we, as human beings, we're tuned into each other. There's a marvelous book called Blink by Malcolm Gladwell that mm, tells how that we book. read other people. Yeah, it's a fantastic book. And how we read other people so quickly. And for the performing arts, when you bring that into it, People don't know, perhaps, they can't name what's behind it, but they know what's behind it. They can feel it. So I think there's a there's that universal appeal that we're talking about. And they also, Pixar also talks about purpose. And I think this is a big, big piece of our storytelling as well, right? Why this story? Why that song? Why this particular piece of art? I just finished creating a, a wall-hanging quilt it's a painted quilt of my dad next to his first car has deep, deep meaning for me and my family. It was the year before he married my mother. My mother had mental health issues. So from that point on, my dad's life was always a challenge. And this photo was taken before he took on that responsibility. And so it's almost like taking a picture of him at his crossroads. You know, he could have moved in a totally different direction. It has deep meaning for me. Now, my brother, my younger brother, is not well right now, and he's going through cancer treatment. This quilt is going, or this wall hanging, I'm sending down to him because mm -hmm. he and dad were very close. But that all came into the creation of that particular wall hanging, all of that story. To other people, it's just a picture of a man in an old-fashioned suit standing next mm -hmm. to an old car, right? But there's huge, deep meaning and story behind it. The purpose... The, the why I had to tell that story, I, I couldn't even name it, except that there was a tug at my deep emotions mm -hmm. about that story. And so I think it had to be told, I had to tell it, where it goes from there will be a different thing altogether. And I think that's what we need to look at. There's And we create lots of things that are just surface. I mean, we, we practice, we do our sketchbooks, we create paintings that technically we know are good or, or whatever, but 
it's the ones where we finally tap into that deep underbelly of emotion and story that I think have the real power. And even we may not even be able to articulate why. We just know there was power there when we were doing it. I agree. I think that often that that why comes in later for us, uh, that that a lot of us in the creative arts, we follow our intuition, right? We follow our gut or our heart. And it's, it's, it's rarely not our head. The head comes later. I find when I'm starting a new project, I just know the energy is there and I need to follow it and I need to stick with it. And it isn't later until the revision phase that I start to unpack it and that I start to go, okay, this is what this is about. And I, um, for the poetry collection that I'm working on, it took me a year until after I finished the first draft to really understand the purpose of what what it was because the poems came from such an emotional place that I couldn't see it clearly with my head um, in order to make those connections. So once I was able to take some space from that, and this is something that we do as writers often, and it's recommended is that when you write something and it comes from an emotional place, it's really important to go put it in a drawer or a box for a little while and then come back to it and to see it through different eyes and then to continue doing that work because that is where you see the purpose. That is where you can see it with that, that really clear vision. Why is very big. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just, I think that we, we both are just pointing to something really important there. Don't start the piece of art, whatever it is you're doing, whatever it is you're creating with the idea of, oh, well, this has to speak to the, you know, um, environmental, you know, impact we have on the earth or anything like that. Simply look for the things that tug at you. What, why has this got your attention? Don't try to analyze it too much. Create from that because it's caught your attention and allow it to reveal itself. That's certainly what happened with that quilt. That's what it sounds like it happened with that, the over the rainbow and with those poems, mm -hmm. there was something about it that tugged at you. You were mm -hmm. willing to follow the thread and arrived at the deeper meaning. I think if we start with trying to be deep, we end up Oh, it's just, it gets ugly. <laughs> and it is, it's like a spiral. Like we go back to that spiral we talk about all yeah. the time and, and or that peeling of the layers is each time I did over the rainbow and I sang it, I went deeper and deeper into the experience of it. But it took many times. And even, you know, at, at a one hour singing lesson, we might spend the entire lesson for, and I went once a week, we might've spent six months at least just on that one song, we actually spent a year, but I'm happy to do that. I feel that there's value in really just going through it and through it because every time it was, it was, it was pulling me deeper into why, why I needed to be there and what this song was doing for me. And I really feel that on some level, it was a healing song for me. And just mm -hmm. the experience of me singing it really helped me work through my grief of, of having someone I cared about who was ill and then having uh, this wonderful time and experience with him during the song, even though, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't there with me. I think of Frida Kahlo's work too, right? And, and I think about how, you know, when I look at her work, it's so personal and it's so based on her personal experience and specific, but I find that it's still pulls me in and there are pieces of her relationship to her culture to her, the beauty that's around her to her body that I can relate to that the help crack me open and and to see who I am differently and she seems to have a sense of purpose in within that 
but I wonder if it was conscious. I think she seemed like, you know, based on what I know of her, I don't know she was up in her head as much. I wonder if, again, this was coming out through the body, through her heart. And, and then later, maybe she noticed the patterns emerging in the work. I don't know. What do you, do you, do you think that when we look at some of those famous people that are out there, is there another way to, to do this other than to really fall into the experience? I think you just said it there when you said she was in her body. That's, I think, what we really need as creatives is to get out of our heads so much. Our heads are very logical and they try to keep us safe and all kinds of good stuff. But our body is also a huge source of information and, and a, another brain. It's another in, intelligence that we have. And we've been taught, at least my generation was taught, that it was only there to carry your head around. And when we, when we get in touch with the feelings and the, that sense of being tugged towards something, if we don't try to analyze it and figure it out, we will end up in the right place. There was, we were, we're going to post these Pixar's rules for storytelling that Jessica found, but I think it really comes up with, with uh, number three here. Trying for theme is important, but you won't see what the story is actually about till you're at the end of it. And so I have a, a series that I'm doing of driftwood on the beach. And what's interesting is, as I've done one or two of them, people are seeing animals in the wood. And, mm. and so I'm thinking that wasn't the theme I went for. And if I had tried to paint these things and put the animals in, they would have looked very contrived. And we don't mm. want to go for that. What we're looking for is do what we do with the work we need to do and let the story reveal itself. Let the mm -hmm. theme reveal itself. I think you know, that's a real important piece of this. Yep. The same thing happened with my poetry book in, in working with the editor. Uh, she said to me one day, she says, oh, you've got a whole collection of poems, like half a dozen, all about insomnia and at night. I had no conscious recollection. Like I knew I wrote these poems. I never consciously thought of that. And it made so much sense after. Uh, it just seemed like that, that again, that theme came back up later. Now, just to let our listeners know that these are, we've now kind of moved away from the six overarching big ideas. And then Emma Coates, who is a story artist for Pixar, she posted 22 rules for storytelling. And so to uh, just to kind of move into the next section here, we want to go deeper into a few of them. We're not going to talk to all of them today, certainly, but um, that that idea of theme is really a big one because, you know, sometimes when we're, we're trying to be like, I know when I'm trying to be really literary, I try to take in all the lessons I had as an English teacher, or, you know, getting an English degree. And it's like, okay, so what is the theme here? What am I working toward? Or what kind of metaphor would I like to base this on? But anything that I've written that's turned out to be really great, I didn't think about any of that. I just, I just, you know, like you said, Broke got into the body. Place and wrote from a different yeah. place that wasn't my head. The more I move out of my head, the, the better the work becomes. And certainly as a singer and the work that uh, my, my amazing, wonderful friend and singing teacher Marie taught me was so much about moving singing out of the head and into the body. And how when you use the whole body to, to sing a song, you've got all those muscles at your fingertips to activate. And I think that is a metaphor for when, when we're creating anything is is the more we mm -hmm. can in include our whole selves um the, the better that those those things that can happen so let's see are there any it, others on this list that okay go ahead 
I was just gonna say it was interesting because I was trying I was trying to figure out why my acrylic paintings came feel like they came from a different place than my watercolor. And I finally realized part of it was I stand up and stand at a table to paint my oh. my acrylic paintings. I sit and I use a very small brush to do my watercolor paintings so they're tighter, they're more there's less movement to me in them. So interesting. So that the body comes into everything. Is it Absolutely. informs everything we do. And I just had an aha because I teach okay. a communications course a corporately. And one of the things I talk to him about is how do you how how does the body support tone over the phone? And because we, we do this whole thing, how much is tone involved in things? And I say to him, body language over the phone is very important because it supports the tone of what you're saying. I just made the connection here. Of course, body language supports the tone of what we're creating. The more we get our body into it, the more tonality we can bring to it, the deeper the expression okay. of the emotion. So people can okay. hear, for, <laughs> people can hear, for example, if we're smiling, right? You can hear yes, that I'm smiling absolutely. right now yeah. versus right now I'm talking, but I'm not smiling. I'm not smiling, April. You, Yeah, you look very unhappy. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm actually using my neutral educator face because okay. one of the things we learned in education around classroom management is that if you need to use your face to um, inspire behavior, we'll, we'll call it, if, if a student is doing something, you need them to get back on task, it's better to give a neutral face because they're going to read whatever they want onto it than to actually mm. do a I'm disappointed face. So if, if, if you can yes. do a I'm, I'm just completely neutral right now, um, then whoever you're engaging with starts to project onto your face what their worries are about what your face might be. And it's quite, it works beautifully. It's actually a bit of a party trick as well <laughs> to share the neutral so face. <laughs> yeah, so, so their story then comes into play because you've given them a blank canvas. Yeah. Correct, yep, and it's so, yeah. and it's easy. <laughs> As I don't have to do any work. I just stand there with a completely blank, neutral face and body language and you just wait. And then eventually they're going to get the message. They're going to know what it is that you need and you haven't had to engage in conflict or a power struggle. Um, you haven't exchanged words that you'll regret. There's been no anger. It's really just been you waiting there with a completely neutral presence. So... <laughs> <laughs> Um, there's a couple things that always goes tip 22. What's the essence of your story? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. What is the essence of your story? And, and, and is it going to be the same for the audience as it is for you? And I yeah. think that good stories, there is a connection to that universal truth, right? There is something universal that everyone will recognize in it. And then there will be those moments that are more personal, like you told about the ring and the, and with the stones that you, you painted yeah. today. Yeah. One of the tips she talks about is number 12, which we didn't highlight when we were going through here, but I read a really interesting article this week that made me think about my art. And number 12, tip number 12 is discount the first thing that comes to mind and the second, third, fourth, and fifth. Get the obvious out of the way and then surprise yourself. And the article that I wrote said, we reject really great ideas because we tend to go for the first thing, which is really the easy thing. The great idea has the more, a little more work involved around it. And if we go deeper and wait for the second or third to come up, we will often come up with a more powerful idea. And I was, it got me thinking about how would that apply to my art? If I reject the first thing that I think of, this is how I should, should do it and explore different ways of doing it so that I can find the one that perhaps is more powerful to tell that story in whatever art form I'm using. 
So I, I kind of like that one, number 12. Mm-hmm. And, and the importance of spending time uh, brainstorming or, or sitting in the question. And again, that's something else that, you know, we can relate even just to creative problem solving in life. So often we want to jump to finding solutions to things. And mm-hmm. it's, it's good just to sit in the problem and really understand it. So even when you're faced in a creative project with, with something that's got you stuck, just sit there for a moment and then you know, really understand it. Where is this coming from? Am I too much in my head? Do I need to get into my body? And that's where going for a walk can sometimes help. And then you get that second, third or fourth thing written down. There's a book we're going to talk about called Flow eventually, I think. He talks about this to work really, really hard at that creative problem or any problem until your brain just feels like it's going to explode and then walk away. Yeah. And your subconscious keeps working on it. Go do something else, do something physical, do something mindless, and your brain will give you the solution eventually, mm-hmm. or your subconscious will give you that solution. That works Have beautifully. You got a favorite? I yeah. do, but I, you know, you've got me thinking about something else. We're just kind of <laughs> ping-ponging here today with all these wonderful ideas. But there was, I took a writer's craft when I was in high school. It's, it's a, in Ontario, it's a grade 12 course that focuses on creative writing. And then I was lucky enough to teach it uh, when I was a teacher, but the, uh, I remember reading an article in grade 12 that was so impactful that I still think of it. And it was called training your muse. And that was, that's very similar to what you just said about flow, that to train your muse, what you do need to do is immerse yourself in whatever it is, you know, and then, and then walk away. And then when you return, the, the ideas will be there that you need to, to move on. And I've been using that strategy now uh, since high school for so a long time. And it, it's worked every time every time. Um, The one on here that really gets me is (laughs) where she mentions, come up with your ending before you figure out your middle. Seriously, endings are hard. Get yours working up front. And I feel that's too hard for me. I have not done that. So even after 20 years of intensive work with story and story endings, they never come first. And I don't know why endings are so hard. Why are they so hard, April? I'm so as a visual artist, I would say this really does not apply to me in that if I am too attached with how I think the finished product should look, it ties me up and I don't make creative discoveries. Mm. I understand what she's saying here, especially around a written story kind of thing, because if you know what your ending is, then you write towards it and you don't uh, take detours and things like that. I think maybe we should have added on this one be willing to throw it out if the story takes you in a different direction. Oh like, yeah. Come up with your ending, get an idea of where you want to go, but the story or the painting or the song or something may take you in a completely different direction than where you thought you were originally heading. Mm-hmm. And so I think you should be willing to throw it out. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Because no work, this is another one on the list. No work is ever wasted. If it's not working, let go and move on. It'll come back around to be useful later. Yeah. 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 That should have probably followed right at after number seven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think this is number 17. So there's a few in between, but yeah, that's a great list. Yeah. So we're excited to share that with you guys. We'll be sure to post all 22 on the website and the sources for where we got this information we talked about today. And hopefully that will, uh, that will be a good help for you. So um, I guess is it time for our playlist? Is that just a natural segue? So. Yeah, so we've got the six great rules of storytelling as told by Pixar. We've got the Pixar tips, which is uh, 22 rules of storytelling. 
And then I'm also going to include there a TED talk called The Danger of a Single Story, because I think it's also important for us to think about the importance of you telling a story that no one else can tell, the importance of having diverse stories and really becoming better consumers of diverse arts and um, trying to, to seek out new and interesting voices that maybe you haven't heard too much of before. So check out this TED Talk. I've watched it five or six times. I love it. It's one of my favorites and it's called The Danger of a Single Story. So that'll be on the playlist. And April, I think you've added some of your wonderful, oh my God, I can't believe well, this is going to be for our, our listeners. <laughs> well, I was going to, I was going to include a link here for my webinar on story, but I realized it's very much attached to the idea of marketing your art. So I'm actually going to hold that back and just dangle it as a teaser oh. on our episode that we're going to do on business and story, using story to market your art. And I will put that there. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm just going to dangle that as a teaser. It's coming, folks, but it's I coming. think it'll apply more if you're if you got a business mindset. Yep. So watch out, watch out for that. So then our next episode, <laughs> we continue um, with this month's focus, which is really looking at inspiration and influence. And we're going to be looking at the use of metaphor and symbolism within the arts and see what we can learn about how we can use that better or more or yeah. whatever, right? <laughs> Yeah, who knows where that conversation will go? <laughs> we don't. We don't know. <laughs> we don't. <laughs> we are creating it as we go. <laughs> yep. We are we are creating. <laughs> All right. Which so, is fun. We've uh, been dancing together very nicely. <laughs> yes, it's been great fun. And uh, so far, we've made it through today's podcast without any mice sightings. And so I feel like like that in itself is a success. So have a great day, everyone. And thanks for listening. Hi, everybody. April here again at the end of this episode. We really wanted to dive into this idea of story as it relates to any kind of creative process, whatever it is that you do, whether it's something physical or something more intangible, like uh, creating music or dance, that's something that's more ephemeral. It's really about telling your story, connecting with what's deep inside of you and making that come out so that people can connect to it on their end. As human beings, as we as mentioned, we story connects us. It makes, draws us to each other. So to take some time this week and ask yourself why you must create this particular piece of art or do this particular performance. What is it that's speaking to you? And really connect to that because that's what's going to help you find the audience for your own work. That's your tribe. Those are the people you're looking for, the ones who recognize you when you recognize what's important to you yourself. Have a good one this week, and we'll talk to you next week. You can find more podcast episodes and today's playlist at thehummingbirdpodcast.com. And you can learn more about our creative work at our individual websites. So you can learn more about me, Jessica, at sunshineinajar.com and more about April at aprilyjanes.com, A-P-R-I-L-L-E-J-A-N is in November, E-S.com. If you have any hummingbird questions for us to explore, we invite you to let us know. At thehummingbirdpodcast.com.